This is A Better Night's Sleep, a podcast about sleep, sleep disorders, and evidence-based treatment from military sleep experts. I'm Dr. Julie Kinn with the Defense Health Agency. I'm Dr. Jonathan Olin, sleep medicine physician. Welcome back, John. Today we're going to be talking about waking up in the middle of the night. We received several listener questions about this, and I'm going to read you a few in a moment. But by the way, listeners, you can submit your own questions by using the email address in the show notes. I did think it was kind of startling that we received so many questions about this. So here's just a few of them. How can I prevent myself from waking up in the middle of the night? When I do wake up in the middle of the night, what's the best way to get back to sleep quickly? Another listener wrote, tips for falling back asleep when awakened, like by dogs barking, kids needing something, or just having to get up to pee. And then a third one says, why do I wake up every night between 3 and 5 a.m. every single night? And there were periods thrown in there for emphasis. So clearly some frustrated listeners. So John, why don't we start with, why do we wake up in the middle of the night? I think it was the last question of why do I wake up always and look at the clock between, I think it was three to five. And that suggests there's a component of of clock watching. Tell us more about clock watching. I know we've talked about it before, but it, it seems pretty important. Yeah. One of the critical issues for people with insomnia, trouble getting to sleep, staying asleep, is keeping a consistent sleep schedule. And then, in my experience, another critical factor with people with middle-of-the-night insomnia or waking up during the night, and especially if they're looking at the clock and especially if it's at around the same times every night, is to really turn the clocks around and not look at them. So this may result or probably will result in some anxiety for the first few nights, but then uh, hopefully then decreased insomnia, decreased awakenings, and shorter as, as this is practiced and as the, the nights roll on. Sometimes people can become trained to do it, I know that sounds strange, but people can develop a habit. Maybe it's a, it's a bad habit in that case, but waking up at around the same time. So by then breaking that association, not, looking, not reinforcing with looking at the clock or watches, you get a chance to sleep through that. Yeah, I, I think the clock watching is so important because when we do wake up and look at it, it's not just, oh, what time is it? We also end up doing math. Like, okay, so how many hours till my alarm goes off? If I fall asleep right now, how many hours will I be sleep deprived? Exactly. And once you start doing calculations in your head, you're you're activating yourself. You're really waking yourself up even more. Exactly. That's a really good point. In, t- in today's world, just to clarify, I think most people will understand this, but some people will say, do you clock watch? And they go, no. And then later they'll say, well, I do wake up and, you know, I, of course I look at my phone. So they don't consider right. their phone a watch or a clock, but obviously it is, and they're looking at time. So, And that's even worse because if you get up and look at your phone, you're going to see missed voicemails or message notifications from your apps. And even if you're not clicking on it, you still know, oh, my mom texted me. What what does she want? And then that's even more anxiety. Exactly. And uh, it's probably more light than a, a clock across the room. Oh, good point. So if we're kind of entrained ourselves to wake up at, say, 03 or 04 every day, you know, is continued training and, and then more likely to happen the next few nights, et cetera. And just to your point, it's not just the arousal. Then if you start doing math and calculations about how many hours do I have to get back to sleep, how many minutes have I been up, 
then you know more and more of your brain is then activated and alerted. Obviously, that makes it you know harder to go back to sleep. If our listeners do tend to watch the clock, what would you recommend to break that habit aside from just not looking at it? Would you say maybe before going to bed, double check your alarm so you know my alarm is set. There's no need to check it in the morning. Is there anything else they could do? Yeah, I encourage that. I encourage set two or three alarms. And then I encourage that actually that the clocks be physically turned around and or far away. Oh, interesting. Just to to prevent that impulse. Exactly. I think if it's six inches from your head and you hear a text go off, so I like it like a geographic kind of barrier. You know, it, it really is about prioritizing sleep, deciding no matter who is calling me or texting me tonight, I don't care. My sleep is more important. I'm going to keep my ringer completely down. I don't want to know. I'm not looking at my phone again till morning. Exactly. And there are settings that people can put on for emergency and that kind of thing. If, you know, this person calls or that kind of situation, then, you know, it'll go through. But So what are some other reasons why our listeners might be experiencing this kind of middle of the night insomnia? And is that even the right term for it? Sure. There are many different, but exactly. So there's onset and morning and middle of the night. Um, I generally ask people about what time do they think they're waking and for how long are those. And if it's a very consistent thing at a specific time, then in my experience, there's often clock watching involved. Mm. Other things that could be a factor, I mean, especially for your male listeners, are going to be getting up in the middle of the night, you know, to use the bathroom. And uh, obviously, that's more prevalent as one ages. So, you know, hydrating well during the day and decreasing your hydration as it late in the early evening and later, certainly later evening would be relevant in that case. Dogs barking. If they're neighbor's dogs, considering getting earplugs. If it's your dog that's coming up and nudging you or bothering you in the bedroom, consider having the dog sleep outside the bedroom in a kennel or some other area of the house. All these things can have impact, and sometimes it's not one item that's solely responsible. If the person's snoring, gasping, it may be an apnea that's waking him up. There's more likely to be a longer period of REM in the early morning. REM tends to occur, the rapid eye movement stage of sleep tends to occur every 90-ish minutes, but the the REM uh, cycles or periods get progressively longer. So if a person's having obstructive sleep apnea and they're having more events in REM, which certainly can happen, then that might be a, uh, a factor with their early morning awakening. Well, I have a question about alcohol use. You've mentioned that that's the most common over-the-counter medication that people use to help them get to sleep, even though it's not meant for that. A lot of our listeners are probably drinking alcohol to relax at night and go to sleep. But then after falling asleep, our bodies metabolize that alcohol and it becomes sugar in our bloodstream. Is that potentially helping wake people up? Sure, yes, exactly. So alcohol itself is not a good uh, sleep agent. That's why I say that it's not distributed generally at pharmacies. (laughs) So anyway, bad joke, but... You're allowed one per episode. Okay, good. I'll try not to exceed it. People do take it or use it and feel that it assists with getting to sleep, but if they're actually studied in a sleep lab... It actually fragments sleep. It's not a good sleep enhancer. So I encourage people to do the other things that we've described, including CBTI, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, 
versus uh, drink alcohol. So yeah, so alcohol certainly can fragment sleep as it wears off. People can wake. And earlier we were talking about getting up and going to the bathroom. Obviously, it's a diuretic, so that could be a factor. Oh, yeah. So let's say our listeners wake up in the middle of the night. They don't look at their clock. What should they do? Is this a time when if they're lying in bed for over 10 minutes, 15 minutes without falling back asleep, that they should get up and look at relaxing art? Or is this a time when they should just stay in bed and try to relax until sleep overtakes them? Um, good question. So in general, in sleep, I like estimated 15, 20 minutes because you're not looking at your watch. And if, and if you're drowsy, of course, and you think you're going to fall back asleep in the next few minutes, of course, stay in bed. If you're progressively, increasingly more alert, then yes, get up out of bed, do something boring. As you said, look at art, maybe look out a window, look at a painting or a picture, and wait for your eyes to get heavy, wait for another sign for you that you're sleepy. For most people, it's eyes getting heavy, and then return back to bed. People could try or can try relaxation technique, you know, initially for the 15, 20 minutes and do that and then feel, okay, I'm drowsy, I'm going to fall back asleep, fine. If they want to get out of bed and try relaxation technique, that's fine too. But yeah, getting staying in bed and getting increasingly aggravated, and as you said earlier, calculating, thinking about how tired you're going to be the next day, how many hours you have till your alarm goes off, that's going to lead to overall frustration and, and training your brain that bed is for where you don't sleep. Bed is where you have insomnia. Well, I'll put out a pitch for our Military Meditation Coach podcast, which has a whole range of meditations. Some are very short, some are long, different kinds of speakers. And it's possible that one of those could help with some of that middle-of-the-night relaxation. Exactly. That's great. And also, uh, my uh, experience with this is there are some meditation strategies or protocols that p- that people feel good about. And if that that works for you fine. There's, again, not a silver bullet for that. If you mm-hmm. go through one or two and you really like imagery, then, then and that helps you with even your pre-going-to-sleep routine, then, then great. Then go ahead and use that. Returning back to one other point, and I, I think I've indicated I'm a psychiatrist by training and more recently doing sleep, sleep medicine. Early morning awakening can be a uh, sign of or mood disorder like depression. Mm. So that's just something to keep in mind. It doesn't mean that everyone would require behavioral health care. But if you feel that you're down and you feel that, oh, since I've noticed that I'm down, especially I'm waking up early in the morning, I have decreased interest in pleasurable activities, feelings of guilt, hopelessness, decreased concentration, then that's something to review possibly with your PCM or seek behavioral health care. Not, there's not a simple answer to all this, but that could be a factor, maybe a factor worth considering. Well, I'd like to talk more about that and when we should see a provider about this. I know from hearing from some of our listeners and, and just talking to folks that people are generally hesitant to speak with a provider about these sleep conditions because they feel it's just part of being a human and part of being an adult is nobody sleeps as much as they'd like to. And I know one of the goals of this podcast is to get people to seek care when it's appropriate. So if a listener is having this trouble, maybe once a week, more than once a week, is that sufficient to speak to a primary caregiver? In general, I, or I've seen people and uh, some individuals, some sleep 
clinicians go by go by rules of three if it's three or more times a week. Mm. But I don't think that needs to be etched in stone. If it's twice a week and it's and it lasts for hours, I don't think you have to go, phew, I'm under the three threshold, so I don't need to follow up. And if it's several weeks, a month or so, then I'd consider it. You know, if it's one bad night, I don't know, you have a noisy neighbor, one bad night, you have a newborn in the house, uh, and they were up much of the night. No, you don't necessarily need to go seek care. Mm-hmm. But if it's a persistent problem that's not getting better, of significance impacting on your on your daytime functioning, I think that's you know merits follow up and evaluation. You know that's my personal experience too. In that, not to be too personal and bore people, but like I had a shoulder injury and I just kind of ignored it, and I was you know then didn't do much with it, and then waited for it to get a little better, and then I tried doing push ups, and then it got a little worse, and. You know, oh, no. it just, I never, um, it, it just never got better. So finally I said, you know what, I'm going to go see a, a physical therapist. And I did. If you give it a few days, a few weeks, and it's not bad, be- and it is better, great. But if it's something that you've been struggling with for months and just isn't really turning the corner, then you may need some benefit from some additional assistance. I like the rule of three. That's a good guideline. But it also sounds like there's some flexibility in that, in that your primary care provider is not going to shoo you away if you go in to ask about this. No. If, if it's causing you occupational or social you know, impairment, if you're falling asleep during the day, if you're not performing to your peak, and you know, or feel like you're having, it's significantly impacting on your life, then and it's lasted for weeks, then yeah, exactly. That's time to Time to look at it. Now, when you go to see a provider, you'll have some information, some some history of, hey, I'm snoring, I'm gasping, hey, I wake up with a sore throat, hey, I wake up with headaches. That's suggestive of obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. If you go there and say, go to a behavioral health person and report, hey, I'm waking up with nightmares, they're recurrent, they're the same ones, mm-hmm. you know, that's suggestive of an anxiety disorder or some impact on that, you know, associated with the with the early morning wake up. So just saying I'm waking up, that's that's data, but we're gonna be interested in additional, you know, history. What are some of the other are you waking up with like the urge to go to the bathroom? Are you waking up because your partner's saying you're gasping and choking? All these things would point to different interventions, different diagnoses, different interventions. So to summarize, there are lots of different reasons why our listeners might be experiencing these nighttime awakenings. And it makes sense that we've gotten a lot of questions about it because they probably have different reasons. Some might be sleep apnea, some might be drinking alcohol before bed, or just building the habit of clock watching. Or like you said before, maybe that's the hour that the dog jumps on the bed. So paying attention, collecting some data, and then seeing a healthcare provider can be helpful. Anything else you'd like to add, John? I'd just add that statistically the most common thing is is insomnia. So just reviewing the CBTI of am I prioritizing sleep? Am I solid with my sleep hygiene, my CBTI practices? That, That may be a good start for a number of our listeners. You know, I think a lot of folks also experience depression and anxiety not related to sleep, but when you wake up in the middle of the night, that's when we can experience difficulty stopping those unwanted thoughts. And so paying attention to our behavioral health when we're awake and treating it then can help prevent it from overtaking us when we're very tired in the middle of the night. I agree. The bad news is it can be a vicious cycle down. The good news is it can be an upward spiral up. So as someone that's, say, 
mildly or moderately anxious, uh, as their sleep gets better, their anxiety can then get better. So hopefully it can make an impact and help people feel better. Oh, that's a great point. And there are some fantastic antidepressant, anti-anxiety medications out there and behavioral health treatments. So it, it's worth looking into at least to know what your options are. Sure, exactly. Well, thank you so much, John. Um, I really appreciate your insight on this. It's great having you here, being that you have sleep expertise and psychiatry. Thank you again for the help. Hopefully our listeners will all get a better night's sleep. Great. Thank you. A Better Night's Sleep is produced by the Defense Health Agency. You can get in touch with us using the email address in the show notes, and we're on Facebook and Twitter at Military Health.